Thank you. Uh, you just heard my name is Christoph. Uh, thanks for having me back. I've been here before once, I think. So thanks for having me. Um, and um, to, to, to start out, I have a confession to make. Uh, when I was asked about speaking tonight on this topic of end times, I was like quite reluctant. Steve can testify. I was like, mm, yeah, nah. Um, <laughs> because you know, the end times, there's this kind of topic that I don't really want to talk about. It's like you don't talk to your crazy uncle during family reunions, right? So, because, um, you know, it ends up being like this conspiracy type of topic thing and all these competing views of how to understand the end times and the book of Revelation, and I'm just not into that. Um, because when it comes to the end times, my topic and especially the book of Revelation, it gets complex very quickly, and you have to have the patience for that. Um, so tonight will be a little bit like the Hitchhiker's Guide to How to Stay Away from Revelation Conspiracies. <laughs> Sorry if that's why you came. Um, <laughs> so the first thing I really want to start out with is more or less a disclaimer. I would like to say to you that the end times and the book of Revelation are not the same thing. The end times in the book of Revelation are not the same thing. The book of Revelation is written to seven churches in the first century, 2,000 years ago, and yes, they have some end time topics and visions, but the end times, technically speaking, are now. So, end times is actually in the Bible describing a time period that already has begun. According to the New Testament, the last days, not the end times, the last days have begun at Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out on the church. In Acts 2.17, Peter and the Holy Spirit say that the la in the last days, God will pour out, you know, he says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, and so on. In Hebrews 1.2, it says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the last days are now. Um, and so since Jesus has gone up to heaven and has poured out his spirit, um, we are waiting for his return, for his second coming, which could be, if I understand Matthew 24 correctly, could be any time. Right? So we're, those are different things. So what I want to say, and I start out with this, is we are living in the last days. It's a name for an age. It's describing a long period of time. Especially, and if you actually pay attention to the book of Revelation, if you look at the last chapters, you realize that the last days are not even the last days because they're just the beginning. They you know, usher in a new age, a new glorious age for this world. So they're not really the last days at all either. Why am I ranting about this? You might have asked yourself by this moment, right? So why is he talking about this? What does this mean? Well, it means I don't want you to be worried about the end times. I don't think we should approach that topic with fear. What I think you should worry about is something else. Because something that is even closer than Jesus' second coming is the fact that any one of you could die at any moment. Sorry. Perhaps even on your way home tonight, God forbid. 
You shouldn't worry about what happens during the second coming. You shouldn't worry about Armageddon and a zombie apocalypse and 666. What you should worry about is the state of your eternal soul right now. Because you do not know how many days you have. So don't live your life as if this is all there is, as if your personal comfort or your career or whatever is what matters. This very night, your soul might be required of you. Have a look at Luke 12. Um, and so that's why you shouldn't be freaked out about the end times, what's in the book of Revelation, about the state of the world when you look at the news. That's not what you should be worried about. Instead, be terrified about falling into the hands of the living God, not ready. It is him, not disaster, not tribulation, not 666, not the devil that you should fear. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. And so we live in the last days, and I ask you, what kind of people should you be? Now, with that out of the way, so that's my disclaimer, I put that out of the way, let's talk reluctantly about the book of Revelation. As I mentioned, the book of Revelation is a letter written to seven actual churches in the first century. The author, John, is trying to challenge and encourage the people he's writing to. He's trying to warn them. He doesn't want them to be lukewarm. He doesn't want them to listen to false teaching. He doesn't want them to be uncaring or worldly. Instead, they are to follow their first love. He wants them to be devoted to the Lord Jesus with all they got, with a single heart. And that's important because, as he's going to tell them in that letter, because persecution is coming their way. He does not want them to run away. He doesn't want them to fall away. He wants them to persevere, to endure, to hold on, even unto death. So that's what this letter is really about. It's a warning of coming persecution in which faithfulness to Jesus is required. Or to say that shorter, persecution is coming, stay true. But it's also a letter of encouragement, and that's where all of those images of the end times come in. It's a letter that's supposed to keep them going, to keep them encouraged, because it tells them, shows them a world that lies ahead of them. Um, and so have a look and see what God is doing is sort of the second message of the book. The vision of John that he's unfolding is meant to help them keep going. And so the way John does that is by, it gets more interesting soon, <laughs> he does that by drawing back the curtain. Right? And he's showing us the real nature of how things are. He shows them the nature of this persecution. He gives them a glimpse of what God is going to do. And so he gives these seven churches a prophetic vision, or several visions, a number of pictures, whereby they get a view of the near and far future. Right? And so what is really, really crucial in understanding this book of Revelation is that you have to realize that the book of Revelation is visual theology. Right? It is... Theology done in images. The book teaches and warns and encourages by means of images, symbols, metaphors. It has its own language. And if you are not familiar with the thinking of Jews in the first century, if you're not familiar with your Hebrew Bible, with your Old Testament, you will not make any sense of this book, or you will get it completely wrong. You have to know the pre-story. You have to know the origin story for each image to understand what is going on, because this is theology done in images. 
Otherwise, you end up like your crazy uncle. Um, so it's like a meme on your phone that you might use. And because you don't know that trebuchets are the superior engine, a siege engine, or one does not simply walk into Mordor, you know, you come across this, and if you don't understand where those memes come from, you have no idea what it is talking about. Right? You might know one or two of them. If you know two of them, good on you. If you know one of them, well, you know Lord of the Rings. But if you don't get any, if you didn't get any of this, right, why is that? Because you don't know your memes. Right? And so, one does not simply walk into the book of Revelation, right? You have to understand Old Testament memes if you want to understand this book, right? You have to understand where those images come from to, to, to decode what's going on. And therefore, you have to make an effort to actually study. Sometimes I think you have to be 40 years old before you should approach this book for that reason, right? Um, because, you know, you have to understand the history of Israel. You have to understand Genesis, Exodus, uh, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, the book of Daniel for sure. Maybe even one Enoch, Zephaniah, Zechariah. You have to know, understand these books in depth to understand what's happening in the book of Revelation. You have to know your Old Testament memes. And that's why you need patience. And if you don't understand those things, you just end up with conspiracy theology at the end of the day. So, for example, I'll give you two examples. Beasts. Beasts in the Old Testament, or, you know, these monsters, are images of human empires, right? And these human empires are inherently anti-God. And beasts, human empires, sometimes can be used by God, like the Assyrians or Babylonians, but they will always end up on the trash heap of world history. And that's what you have the beasts in the book of Daniel, and that's what you have uh, what these beasts in the book of Revelation mean. But behind those beasts, let's get supernatural now, there are more sinister forces. Any human empire is ultimately a beast. Think about it. What's behind the kingdoms of man? Is it not pride? Lust for power and comfort, self-sufficiency. What's behind America first, China first, Australia first, Tasmania first? What's the motivation behind that? What's ultimately behind the economic world systems that we have? Is it not greed, fear, exploitation, selfishness? And so that's what the book of Revelation is trying to get at. Ultimately, anything and everything, everybody who does not follow Jesus with all their heart is ultimately part of the problem and not part of the solution. These beastly kingdoms at the end will end up on the trash heap of world history. That's what the book of Revelation teaches. Another example why you need to know your Old Testament memes is the infamous 666. Yes, I'm going to talk about this. It's in chapter 13 and 14 of the book of Revelation. And this morning I was actually preaching on this in a different church. And the interesting thing is that chapter 13 and 14 of the book of Revelation in the NIV church Bibles that we have was on page 999. So if you turned it upside down, <laughs> the cross, it was 666. <laughs> right? But... Um, yeah, it's not even a joke. That really happened. But see, so it, it, you know, there's a temptation to think that this is a secret code. But it isn't a secret code. 
because any semi-educated Greek or Jew in the first century would have understood what John is talking about, because that's how they did math in the first century, right? Both in Hebrew and in Greek, you can use letters, or they used letters for numbers, right? We have adopted the Arabic numbers in the meantime. Yes, our numbers are Arabic. <gasps> Shock. Um, but then they were using uh, the letters of their own alphabets, right? Aleph is one, Bet is two, uh, two and so on, right? Um, and so each letter stood for a number. And so any name, any word can be, you know, computed into numbers. And so in the book of Revelation, it uses that idea. Um, and it uses the system. And so the value of the number 666 is actually the word Caesar Nero, right? Or that is the Roman emperor at the time of writing, right? So if you take up the, the letters that make up the word Caesar Nero in Hebrew, um, they add up to 666. And if you take the Hebrew word, I know you can see it, if you take the Hebrew word beast, Right? If you take the letters for that word, they also end up being 666 in, um, as a value. Now, John is saying that the persecution under Nero and then later Domitian, his uh, follow, uh, the next emperor, ultimately have beastly anti-Christian roots. So, like any other persecution in our day, actually. And the point of all of this is actually not the identity of Nero or have you know, the secret code or whatever, The important thing of this passage is that the mark of the beast, according to Revelation 13, 16, is to be put on your right hand and on your forehead. This means something. You have to know your Old Testament memes to decode this, right? Because the forehead and the right hand is where a Jew, during his daily prayer, the Shema, puts a box with the name of God. You need to know your Hebrew memes. And you see a picture here, and if you look carefully, you see it's actually the left hand, which tells me that this person is left-handed because he used a strong hand where you bind the prayer box on, right? But really, the right hand and the forehead. And there on these uh, is a box with the name of God. So this is a sign, a symbol, that means total devotion to God in thought and in deed. So what John is saying here is that the empires of this world, in this case Rome, right, but really any empire, often end up demanding total devotion and allegiance from you. Right? But if you give them total devotion and allegiance, when you just, in other words, live for this life, then you're not really a follower of Jesus. You're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And that's really what this 666 business is all about. And so I have to ask you the question, are you loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or is your hope, your allegiance, your insurance found in human institutions and human empires? So that's why you need to know your Old Testament memes. This is a letter of warning put in images. You have to have the patience to study it. Okay, so let me say a few things about the main message of the book. I have really already, or the end times really, I've already said it, but I'll just say it again. This is a warning of coming persecution in which faithfulness to Jesus is required. Persecution is coming, stay true, but it's also an encouragement to keep going 
and it's saying, see what God is doing. Open your eyes. See what God is doing. And so the book of Revelation does give us a picture or several pictures of what is going on behind the curtain, what is coming, what is ultimately coming. And John is asking you and me to endure to the end because the end is worth it. The end actually is a new beginning, a new restored earth where God will be with us, a place where he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death. It's worth it. Yes, persecution is coming, but persecution is worth it because Jesus is worth it and this world that is coming is worth it. But now, the real surprise, the real downer, or depending on your view, the real surprise in all of this is that God's kingdom does not come through a Marvel superhero kind of God thing. Right? God is not rocking up like Thor, melting all the enemies in an epic battle. In fact, if you read the book very carefully, you realize that the end battle, Armageddon, is quite a, you know, anticlimactic. Jesus just rocks up and he speaks and it's over. No smash and bash, no melting, no fighting and back and forth. None of that. Right? They're not even equal in any form or fashion. Um, no. What you get is a lion of Judah that actually is a slain lamb. Right? That's the imagery. The shocking reality of the upside-down kingdom is that the leader of this world, the king of kings, the lord of lords, is a slain lamb. The way of triumph, the way God's kingdom comes is by means of a suffering lamb. That's our shining night. Right? A slain lamb. And that's the upside-down kingdom that we belong to. And it's this lamb imagery that teaches us that there's only one trustworthy with absolute power. Hear me now. Jesus is the only one trustworthy with absolute power because he can lay it down. He lays it down to save those that are lost, even unto death. Is that what our leaders do? Except Stephen, of course. <laughs> and what I mean is, like, if you look at our world leaders, if you go look back in history, what do you see? You see people who exploit, who try to boost their own ego. And here, you have a leader who is not a totalitarian dictator. He's not a narcissist. No, Jesus lays down his life. He's a slain lamb. He is the only one trustworthy with absolute power. And that teaches us that triumph, success, comes through suffering. Death is conquered by death. We don't go around the valley of the shadow of death. We go through it. And the followers are of the lamb, you and me, we are not above the leader. We will follow him into and through suffering. We will share the suffering, some of us. It's through suffering that he conquered. And so that's why the book of Revelation actually doesn't endorse any escapism. It's not about escaping the trouble. The opposite is true. You're supposed to hold on and endure. The seven churches are assured that beastly state-endorsed persecution is coming their way. 
And if they follow Jesus, they will have to endure, persevere, even unto a martyr's death. So to us here in safe Tasmania, in the 21st century, this seems nonsensical. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. Because we think that discomfort is not something that God should allow. But to a Christian brother or sister in Afghanistan and many other places in the world, well, this is a reality. The beast is coming for them. And the question is, will they endure? Will they stay faithful? You see, this is not about conspiracies now, is it? This is real. We misread the times and we misread the book of Revelation when we scare ourselves with this what secretly might happen to us, right? We spend a lot of time to worry about what, imagining what could happen. But there is no secret message in this book of Revelation. The plain message of that book is grim enough, but it's also glorious beyond all. So let me ask you, what are you afraid of? Conspiracies? Secret world governments? Are you afraid of what you should be afraid of? Imagine for a moment that every conspiracy you have ever heard is true. This is fun. Imagine this for a moment, right? There's a secret Rockefeller, Rothschild, Bilderberg Jews group who together with the Freemasons and the aliens secretly control the world since before Atlantis. In fact, 9-11 and COVID are just their ploys to take our freedoms and control us, to inject us with zombie DNA microchips. The 5G network and the Chinese are trying to make our molecules spin a certain way uh, and give us cancer. The world is actually flat, and NASA and the aliens have been lying to us, especially about the moon landing. The Chinese, the Russians, and the secret Jewish alien world government are all out to get you, hurt you, kill you so they can take your stuff. Right? Now, what if all of this was true? What kind of Christian should you be? What kind of follower of Jesus should you be? Should you be scared of that? Should you be taking up arms? Should you start a rebellion? Should you overthrow the government? What of kind of Christian should you be? What does the book of Revelation say? Well, you should be someone who holds on to your first love, someone who loves the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. You should be someone who trusts God and his judgment. You shouldn't be somebody who takes justice in their own hands. You leave that to God. You should take up your cross daily and follow him. Deny yourself even unto death. The followers of the Lamb are not to take up arms, but to lay down their lives, just like their master. And in doing so, you will overcome evil. You see, the reality, the real, real world, how things are really behind the curtain, that is actually much worse than any of those conspiracy theories. If you really want to have a look, read Ephesians 2 or Ephesians 6. For the Bible tells us that there is, in fact, a supernatural secret world government that is behind everything here on earth. It's the evil one. And he has been at war with the Lamb since the beginning. But 
these are the last days. I don't know if you've ever wondered why there are no demonic conspiracy theories. Everybody, anybody wonder about that? Well, you see, the prince of, the, of this world, he has a hold on billions and billions of people, including every single country and nation on earth, including you if you give him a foothold. You see, we are chasing imaginary demons and we ignore the real ones. If you allow yourself to be controlled by fear, by greed, by nationalism, by lust, by anger, by selfishness, well, then you are an asset to evil. You're an asset to this beastly, all-pervasive, anti-Christian power of evil. That power that will ultimately be overthrown by the Lamb. Because God will establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the book is saying. His kingdom will come. It is breaking in already. And the question then is, which side will you be on? The reason you and I, we don't really know real persecution, the reason for that is because we're really not in the battle. Right? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you start getting real with sin and evil, when you start speaking up, when you start praying for people, when you start to get serious about your own stuff, when you boldly call on people to follow Jesus the King, you will get pushback. Then the persecution will be a little bit more real, and then you will not have any need for conspiracies. And so I want to ask you, when Christ calls you to be a kingdom herald, a soldier here and now, to take part as a soldier in this D-Day battle of reconquering the earth, where are you going to be? We are God's ambassadors, right? We are soldiers. We are to be battle-ready, proclaiming the good news to the ends of the earth, and in doing so, of course, suffer for it. We are not supposed to be people who bubble-wrap ourselves until kingdom come, right? Sitting out our time, having this little self-sustaining solar-paneled farm in the back of the woods. Right? That's what some people fantasize about, or even have. Waiting there till kingdom comes, the trumpet calls. If that's what you're thinking, you have the wrong idea, and you definitely have the wrong idea about the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, in the end, heaven comes down here, to this earth, not to another earth. God is coming to make all things here new and right. So this world isn't a disposable wrapper, it's kind of like a sinking Titanic, and we're going to switch it out for another one. That's what some people think, but that's really not what the book of Revelation teaches. No, God has come to redeem this reality, right? And the book of Revelation, in that sense, is God's answer to our prayer. And, you know, what's the first prayer in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, the kingdom of heaven, I hope you know. All right, you all need to go to the Anglican church for a while. Uh, <laughs> right? Right? What is it? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So his kingdom will come down. And in the, in, in the last chapters of Revelation, the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to this earth. Right? He's inviting us to join him to walk this, wall, this way of the Lamb, this upside-down kingdom way of doing things, because his kingdom will, kingdom will come here. 
And we are asked to persevere, to keep loyal to the Lamb, to be, you know, part priests and ambassadors in bringing this about until it's fully realized. That's the message of Revelation. And so the danger is to, that you would back out of that, that you try to stay safe. But in doing so, the only thing you're doing really is following the beast, right? The beast that would be perched in the end. And so the encouragement, the challenge really with thinking about the end times is to be afraid about the right thing, to see the right thing. Um, we need to see that Jesus is enthroned. We need to see that the king that's worthy to be followed, the Messiah that we really need, is not, you know, the world leader who is like a soldier or whatever, um, a superpower, superhero kind of person. We need the lamb that is slain, a person who has shown that they're trustworthy with absolute power. And those then, and he's calling us to follow him, those who follow him will share his fate. We might share his immediate fate, which might be suffering and discomfort, but we will also share his ultimate fate, which is ruling with him the new creation. Let me finish with uh, some of the last words from the book of Revelation. It's going to be coming through. He was seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all the liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So let those who hear, those who have ears, let them hear. Amen.